Let's make a short prayer together, then I'll give you this sermon. Father, we thank you for this time to be together. I, I claim the help of the Holy Spirit to speak to your people in this moment. I pray that there will be immediate fruit, and I pray, Lord, there will be, I don't have to ask for it, I know there will be fruit in the future, because your word is like a seed planted in the ground. The little book of James said, receive with meekness the engrafted word, the cut-in word, and I pray that you would cut every heart that's here today and stick that good word, that good seed deep in their hearts, and the Lord, in the time of you're appointing that it will bear fruit and overtake them and give them a new heart. And there will be new people loving you and serving you. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen. On this Sunday, 2,000 years ago, a prophecy of the Old Testament was fulfilled. A prophecy given through the Lord to the prophet Joel. And this was a fulfillment also on Pentecost Sunday of a prophecy that Jesus Christ himself made. In John 14, 15, and 16, where he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to leave behind. I'm going to not leave behind. I'm going to give to you another comforter, that being the Holy Spirit. Now, this promise that the Holy Spirit would come was and has been a world-changing ministry. The world, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, is not the world that it was before Pentecost. It is a very very different world. One of the most obvious marks of that is the presence throughout the world of Christian churches all over the world. In every continent, in nearly every locale, you can go and find a church that either is completely squared away doctrinally or even kind of squared away. You'll find Christian churches everywhere in the world, and that's due to the work of the Holy Spirit. If you were to follow the liturgical readings for today, you'd see a parade of passages taking us from creation to Pentecost, showing how the Holy Spirit is vital to the progress of God's kingdom. Today, our reading was from Psalms 104, verses 25 to 35. Did you notice the Holy Spirit being mentioned in that passage? Well, it was, because that's part of the readings. Part of the traditional understandings of this is Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way. Now, from Pentecost forward, the Spirit has been working in ways He did not work in the Old Testament because that was under the Old Covenant economy. But now in the New Covenant, which begins with Christ in His resurrection, the Holy Spirit works in different ways. One of the most blessed ways the Holy Spirit works now is the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence within you, and you can't lose Him. He's your persistent, constant comforter. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit gives to you giftings, abilities to serve him and be his ministers in this world. And that's all through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 21, and then I'm going to give you a sermon. It's kind of long. I, I prepare you ahead of time. But luckily, we're all off work tomorrow, right? Some of us are. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, <coughs> excuse me, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Anytime the Lord begins to work, there's always somebody who's going to mock or find fault or ridicule. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days... It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show them wonders in heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is the arrival. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit. It comes down. Not everybody understands it, but those who are Christians, they understand what's going on here. This is a prophecy from God. God is doing a big work here. The Holy Spirit's being poured out in a a fantastic way. Some people found fault with it. But here we are 2,000 years later, And I think we can say the Holy Spirit has done a pretty good job of getting his work done. The gospel has spread. Churches have flourished. Nations have been turned right and left and up and down. Inside out cities just rearranged by the gospel. We live here in the United States of America and we do not really, it's hard for us to get our minds around the, the complete domination of Christianity over the United States of America. If you want to know about it, see the difference goes somewhere else. Now, we're not saying that America is a perfect nation. Far from that. I wrote out a prayer to, to offer today for, for Memorial Day to give thanks to the Lord for this country and for the men and women who died. And I wrote out a long prayer of confession of sins for our nation. But the list was so long that I decided not to do it. But we've, we've, we have national sins. But even in spite of our national sinfulness, this country bears the imprint of Christianity on it in every way imaginable that you can think of. Now I want to give you five or six points. Okay, here's the first, first, the first point. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the world hasn't been the same since Pentecost. It has been by the power of the Holy Spirit that the church of God has spread all over the earth. It has been by the power of the Spirit of God that millions of people have been born again. They've been baptized and churches have been organized all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptist churches for over a century have confessed that their identity as a local visible church is because of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to read to you from Brown's Baptist Church Manual. Now, Baptists are wild people, aren't they? We like to write stuff down. We have books called church manuals. And here is a sample from, the, from Brown's Church Manual from 1853. The verbiage is nearly identical to what we confess here as a church when a person joins the church. If you're a, part, if you're a member of this church and you've never taken the time to read the church covenant, that's your, that's your membership pledge to each other in the church as members, it might do you well to read it. Well, you listen to these interesting words. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ... As our Savior, and our profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Now, the most important section of that little paragraph are the words, we believe that we've been led by the Holy Spirit to do this. When you confess... That covenant, you're saying, the Holy Spirit has led me to this place. The Holy Spirit has led me to make this decision. The Holy Spirit. Now, so when we have this church covenant, we're saying that our church's existence is attributed to the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is very powerful, more powerful than you and I can imagine or understand. Very powerful. In fact, The Holy Spirit's leading is the only way that I could say that I would ever move to Michigan. No hissing, Mr. Boss. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is the only thing that would get some of you people to come and join up with this church. The Holy Spirit leading you. The Holy Spirit leading. Charles Spurgeon, when he got baptized, his mother, he wrote his mom and said, Dear Mom, you know, he'd become a Christian when he was 15. He wrote his mom. He said, Dear Mom, I'm going to be baptized this week in this little river. And he said, I'm going to become a Baptist. And she wrote him back and she said, Oh, Charles, how I prayed that God would convert you and save your soul. But I never expected that you become a Baptist. <laughs> and he wrote back to her and said, Dear Mom, the Lord is so kind and gracious as he always does. He gives us more than we can expect or ask for. <laughs> The Holy Spirit. Now, you might be here this morning, and you think there is no way that you would ever, ever, ever become a Christian. There's no way you'd ever unite yourself to any kind of local church. I want you to know that if the Holy Spirit's going to have you, he will have you, and you will be born again, and you will be bound to a church somewhere, because the Holy Spirit cannot be stopped. The purpose and plan of God cannot be stopped. Thwarted. Doesn't mean that we understand or enjoy every chapter in the story of this world, but you can trust the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God has sent him to do in this world. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that the world has been changed. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the means by which Christ has outfitted his church for service. When a person joins the armed services, they get everything they need to be successful from the service itself. They get uniforms, they get shelter, they get food, they get lots of yelling. (laughs) They get training, they get weapons, they get orders, they get officers. They get everything they need for success as a soldier or sailor from the service itself. All the recruit needs to supply is themselves and have the willingness to submit themselves to the service, and follow orders. 
And as you read church history, you'll see that it has not been spectacular men and women, but it has been regular men and women. There I say, it has been unimpressive men and women that God has used to spread his kingdom across the world. Sometimes it was by people who lived very long time, a very long time and had extended lifespans like John the Beloved, or maybe very short times, as in the case of a man named Thomas Helvis, who was the first Baptist in England, and he died at the age of 41 after a ministry of only about, about a decade. A decade. And only one Baptist fellowship in the whole nation of Great Britain. Just one. But if you go there today, there are hundreds. God uses people through the the power of the Holy Spirit. God does big things with unimpressive people. The greatest missionaries of history, the greatest preachers of history, the greatest church members of history were all only able to do these things. They were only able to be successful, useful servants of God because of the Holy Spirit's presence and empowering and enabling in their life and from reading church history you'll see that all the people that god has used and is using today they're just regular people just regular people but when the holy spirit takes up residence in them and the holy spirit works in them those regular people become stupendous super christians They just are used by God in incredible ways because of the Holy Spirit. Now, from reading church history, if you read good church history, you'll also see that every person that God uses also has weaknesses in their character, in their temperaments, and in their abilities. Nobody's perfect. God uses broken stricks. (laughs) God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And God uses warped people to build his kingdom. You are a stone fitly framed together. Now, down in Texas, a lot of the houses down there were rock, rock houses. We lived in Texas for a long time, and, you know, Texas is an interesting place to live. And down there in Texas, people would build their houses, and they would leave a little ledge all around the outside of the house. A lot of people would, because they wanted to stack rock around the house. And the first time a guy told me, he said, I'm going to go stack some rock around my house. I was like, why? You guys going to be under attack later? <laughs> What's the purpose? But he meant they were going to stack these, these rocks in, a, in, a, in a, an artful way. They, they, would, they would bring a truck in and just dump a whole dump truck load of rocks. And then they would take those rocks and they would put some mortar down and then stack a kind of a... a, a, a one row of rocks. Then they put some more junk in there, some more mortar, and then stack another one in there. And what looked like a jumbled pile of mismatched stone when they were done was beautiful. Just a beautiful stacked stone house. I mean, it was kind of an envious thing. When you saw it, you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. How can something, how can all those jumbled rocks become beautiful? Because a master rock stacker <laughs> went over there and stacked rock around that house and made it glorious. And you and, my, you and I, my friends, we are the same as a church of God. We are, a, we are fitly framed together by the Holy Spirit. 
He puts us together in ways we wouldn't. Have you ever, have you ever, you know, we just, uh, Tom, Tom is here, Patty's not. But Patty, she's helped us with the, with the fellowship hall back then. It turned out just so beautiful. You know, while Patty was talking about all that stuff and describing what it's going to be, be like, you know, you know what my brain was saying, Tom? I don't see it. <laughs> Tom, Patty's not here, but. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't see what somebody else's vision is. You don't see how it can work out. You don't see how it can fit together. It just doesn't make sense to you. But when the master is done, you step back and go, that's impressive. That's incredible. And that's what God does in his church through the Holy Spirit. He organizes us and fits us into the body according to his purpose. And on our own, we're just a rock. We're just a blockhead. But when he puts us together with a bunch of other blockheads, <laughs> we're something great. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, he's working in us. The Holy Spirit, he gives us these, these giftings for service. There's a great deal of talk about spiritual gifts. And I confess, I do not understand them that great. But I do know this about spiritual gifts. If you're born again, you got them. One, two, three, or four. I'm not sure how many a person can have, but I know you got at least one because you got the Holy Spirit. And I don't think you should spend five seconds trying to figure out what it is, to be honest with you. Just serve the Lord, and in the moment of need, that gift will be made manifest to you. How many of you guys think you could give a sermon? My dad, don't raise your hand, Dad. I know Dad could do it. My dad's a preacher. Leslie thinks she can. Mitchell thinks he can. That's because they've heard some of the greatest preaching <laughs> in the world. <laughs> but probably not too many people, if, like, if they could, you know, if I was struck down, you know, you could probably give a sermon. You say, well, I could never give a sermon. Well, but what if you had to give a sermon? What if you had to give a talk somewhere? at your school or at your job or some memorial service for a friend, and you're called upon, you don't think you could do it. But the Holy Spirit could enable you to do it. The Holy Spirit could enable you to give a one-time sermon. You may, not, you, may, you may not know the right words to say to somebody you work with or somebody you're around. You don't know what you should say to them in their moment of sorrow, but the Holy Spirit can supply to you just the right word to say. You might need some skill. You might be on a mission trip somewhere, and the missionary, his car breaks down, and you don't know beans from buttermilk about automobiles, but you could be standing there looking at that motor and notice the problem and just point it out and say, I think that thingamabob is disconnected. It should be plugged into the thingamajig. <laughs> or you might say, did anybody check the gas? <laughs> the Holy Spirit can give you a gifting to function in that moment. In the Welsh Revival outside of Wales, in Wales too, in the New Hebrides Isles, there was a revival that was taking place. There was a guy, named, I can't remember his name now, name was Ian something. He went there to preach, to keep this revival going, and he was there and he preached day and night for three years. But after that revival was over, after that outpouring of the Holy Spirit was passed, he couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper bag because his gifting was only for that moment. When, when God needs you, 
He's going to enable you to do what he needs you to do. He's going to help you. And right now, you may, not, you may not understand what's going on in your life or how you're going to get through it. God's going to help you get through it. God's going to help you. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit in, in different ways as far as these giftings go. If you want to see how giftings work kind of from the Bible, if you look at the Apostle Peter, we see that before Pentecost, when Peter is called upon to stand up for Jesus at a fire while Jesus is being tried, Peter is standing by a fire warming his hands, and a little girl comes up and she says, aren't you one of Jesus' guys? And he says, no, I'm not. Another person comes up and says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He says, no, I'm not. A third person says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And what does Peter do? Instead of declaring himself to be on Christ's side, instead of saying, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, I've walked with him and I've talked with him, what did, you, what did Peter do? Did Peter declare he was in or did he deny Christ? Denies Christ. Three times he denies Christ. But Peter, once he became under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, after the Pentecostal outpouring, people are speaking in tongues, people are hearing in tongues, and people are mocking and laughing at them. These guys are all a bunch of drunks. Does Peter shrink back in the day of adversity? Does Peter hide in the shadows and say, oh, they're laughing at us? Is that what Peter does? No. Peter steps up and says, men and brethren, listen to me. This is what was promised by the prophet Joel. And Peter begins to preach a sermon, the last to the end, almost the end of chapter 2. And then... They come to him and they say, what must we do to be delivered? What must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and believe the gospel and your sins shall be washed away. And how many people believed? How many people? You Christians know? You Bible big brains know how many? 3,000 people saved and baptized. Saved and baptized. Once again, Peter preaches just one chapter later. Two chapters later in chapter 4, Peter preaches again and Another large number of persons are converted. 5,000 people are converted. Do you know how many times this happens in the book of Acts for the Apostle Peter? Only twice. Only twice. Only two times did he preach with such power that thousands of people believed. Only twice. In those necessary, needful moments. Because at Pentecost, it was a pivotal time. People from 18 different nations have gathered in Jerusalem to hear the Bible. To, 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 they, they've, they've come there for Pentecost to observe the Jewish feast of Pentecost. But on that day, when all these people are there, who are going to go back to their home countries, it was just a convenient time to evangelize them. And so what does God do? He enables Peter to preach in that moment. It doesn't seem to be an enabling that Peter has forever, just in that moment. And my friends, when we serve God, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare for service. We should. But we can only make, but only the Holy Spirit can make our preparations and performance for service effective. This means we're not always aware of the effectiveness of our ministry for the Lord but we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is working. If I didn't trust that the Holy Spirit was working every single Sunday when I give a sermon, I would quit. Because sometimes I walk out those back doors feeling, you know, like a zebra with the ring rubbed out. Lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut. I don't feel like I did any good at all. But I have to trust the Holy Spirit. Trusting the Holy Spirit. That's the same as trusting God. 
trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In our ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. You know what the Bible says? Trust the Holy Spirit to do. Trust the Holy Spirit to work in people. I know you've got people in your life you're burdened for, people you're concerned about. You've got sons and daughters and nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and moms and dads who are not Christians. You want them to be saved. And you think, oh, Lord, how can I get it to them? How can I get them saved? Well, the reality of it is that you can't. The Holy Spirit can, though. And you have to trust him. You have to take hands off and say, Holy Spirit, you've got to do the work. I can't do it. Leave them in your hands. Earl Blackburn, a pastor in Shreveport, Louisiana. I didn't know there were any Christians in Louisiana, but Earl is down there. <laughs> but Earl is down there. And uh, he said, when he was reading the Bible one day, he went to church and heard a sermon, went home, and he said, nobody else ever talked to me. He said, I went home to my, in my bedroom that night. He was 16 years old, went in my room, sat down on my bed. He said, I was reading a book. He said, and all of a sudden, the greatest soul winner in the world walked into my room. And we're all like, who was it? He said, it was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit taught him the gospel in an effectual way, how to understand, put faith in his heart to believe the Holy Spirit. We have to trust and depend upon the Holy Spirit. Now, number three, in case you don't know it, your whole relationship with Christ began with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is in the world and all across the world. He is seeking for those who have a date with salvation. He is drawing people to Christ as we speak. Now, sometimes this drawing means that he must draw men and women to serve as missionaries and preachers in foreign lands to preach the gospel. I didn't know these people were going to be here today, but they're here today, and their kid is over in some foreign country preaching the gospel. What made him do that? What makes him do that? Did dad beat him up one day in the basement? You're going to go or else. Did a pastor beat him into it? No. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Drag him all the way across the world, make him learn a new language. That's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God's drawing people requires that. Requires that. Sometimes it's drawing people from jungles to towns or cities to hear a sermon. They don't understand why they're going to a town, why they're moving place to place. The Holy Spirit's drawing them, wooing them to the fountain of truth. Sometimes it's a big-brained academician who is in his research. He realizes that there is evidence within this research for God, that there is a creator, that there is a first uncaused cause, and that this first uncaused cause must have caused this world for a purpose and begin to hunt and search and find out that this unknown God has a son who died for their sins. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit opening doors for ministry for us by teachers in schools or by schools who cooperate with local churches to let them reach into the, into the schools and, and get kids. It's the Holy Spirit opening doors. But my friends, every single time, that someone confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, it is by the Holy Spirit's regenerating, saving work. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says this, no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one confesses Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one, and I'm going to say this to you very, very plainly, because I think this is worth knowing. Nobody can 
confess Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Nobody can. The Holy Spirit is the one that does it. Confessing. Now this confessing is, a cool, is, is an interesting word. Confess. Now let, let's say that I saw, this is my friend Rick over here, Let's say that I saw Rick do something in the parking lot he shouldn't do. He backed into my car. I see Rick do it. Or I see Rick back into somebody else's car. Who'd you like to back into, Rick? Who'd you like to hit? He's thinking. (laughs) This is your only shot, Rick. He's like, who's here? (laughs) Let's Let's say he hits Jim Ackerman's car. Jim's right there. He hits Jim's car. And Jim comes into church. He walks out there and comes back in, sees his car's been crashed too, into, and he says, my car got hit. Anybody see who hit my car? Rick. Rick did it. Rick did it. Rick hit it. And so we go find Rick. And, I, and Jim's like, Rick, I think you backed into my car. I didn't hit it. I didn't, how, could you, how could you tell that has another dent? <laughs> I didn't hit your car. And he said, Terry said you did it. Gives me a dirty look. What are you, blind in both eyes? I, you, you didn't see me do that. And I said, well, I, yeah, I, I saw it. No, I didn't. But if Rick says, confesses, yes, I did it, he's claiming that. That's what, that's what confessing is. He's, he's raising the hand saying, I did it. That's what confession is. When you confess Jesus is Lord, you're, you're saying, he's my Lord. It's something deeper than just oral declaration. It's a confession. How many of you would confess to a crime you didn't commit? Anybody? Anybody? I wouldn't confess to a crime I didn't commit. I wouldn't do it, not for all the tea in China. I think about this all the time. When, I'm, when I see somebody in prison or a, a prison show, and I hear about people, people going to prison, is I am scared to death of going to prison. When I was a volunteer at the Douglas County Jail, part of the, the training procedure was they, uh, I was a religious volunteer there, they would take you into a cell by yourself and lock you up and leave you in there for 15 minutes. I, I went in there, I sat down, just a concrete ledge with a vinyl-covered foam mattress, I sat down there, that big door, clunk. I sit there, well, this ain't too bad. There was a window, but it was one of those windows with diffusers on it, so you couldn't see out, just let light come through. Had a little polished steel mirror on the wall. A toilet, very primitive looking toilet. Had a little sink, and I just sat there. And I thought, this ain't bad. These prisoners got it made. But then I thought, well, maybe I'll read. Got nothing to read? Just sitting there. And I thought, well, I'll walk around a little bit. So I walked across the cell. Boom, the wall. Walked this way, two or three steps, maybe four. Get down there. And I thought, this is awful. Time was standing still. I had no watch, had no phone. Back in those days, they didn't even have a cell phone. Nothing to read. I just walked back and forth in there, looked at the mattress, flushed the toilet, turned on the water, drank from the tap, 
And I thought, oh man, this is awful. And then I got to think about all the things I couldn't do anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't kiss Valerie. I couldn't have coffee whenever I wanted it. I couldn't just watch TV or go outside. I couldn't fit. I started thinking about all the thousands of things that I like to do that I couldn't do anymore because I was locked up. And every time I see somebody get locked up, I think, what a horrible fate. I'm scared of it. I'm scared of it. And I think about, I think about being locked up for if, if, if the things ever turned south in America and I had to be locked up for religious persecution... To be honest with you, it would take the grace of God for me to go to jail. Because it, it, just, it just sits a straddle of me like you can't believe. It's a horrible thing to think about. So I would never confess to something I didn't do. I mean, I'm going to tell on you, <laughs> but I ain't telling on me. <laughs> and this confessing that Jesus is Lord, this is what it is. It's something deep that comes from us. The Spirit working. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people from their homes to hear a sermon. You don't know why. And as I look around here, I mean, a lot of you guys are here every Sunday to hear a sermon. You don't always know why you're coming because sometimes it's just routine. If I'm not in church on Sunday mornings, I feel kind of weird. Like my whole week is messed up because I didn't go to church. But the Holy Spirit draws us to hear these things. The Holy Spirit knows what we need. It's the Holy Spirit who can create in a person dissatisfaction with their life and cause them to start to seek for God. They don't know it, but God is at work in them. These people who are thinking about intellectual objections to God and to Christianity, they they don't understand what's happening, but the Holy Spirit is challenging their fallen minds. And I want you to know this. If anybody can be saved, they will be saved. If a person's salvation is a part of God's purpose, then nothing will prevent them from finally, savingly believing the gospel. Now listen to this great text. This is John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Everybody who's supposed to get born again is going to get born again. And they're never going to be cast away. And that's going to be accomplished through the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. The fourth thing I want to say to you is as Christians, you and I, we have a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. We are his temple. He serves the Lord in us. And since he lives with us, and because the Holy Spirit is a real person, we have to treat him like the person he is and do him no harm. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this, Do not quench the spirit that lives within you, the Holy Spirit. Now, the word quench means to extinguish or put out. Extinguish or put out. But listen to this translation from Eugene Peterson where he says, don't suppress the Spirit. That's a great reading. Don't suppress the Spirit. Don't press the Spirit down. Now what does that mean exactly? It means don't hinder or limit His influence in your life. 
The Holy Spirit is there, and he works in us. He speaks to us through different ways, but he is working to us. He speaks to us directly. He speaks to us through his written word. He speaks to us through sermons and circumstance. Don't suppress the Spirit's voice. Don't quench it. Have you ever seen that? Uh, you ever heard this joke? It, it's about 20 minutes to 12. Is that okay? You guys all are listening pretty good, but I don't want to lose you because I got seven more points. So I'm not going to tell this joke because it'll make somebody mad. I'm just going to skip it. So I heard somebody say, go ahead. But that's, that's the voice of the devil. <laughs> if you don't want to hear somebody's voice, what do you do? We were talking about this the other day about Matt when he was a little kid. His mom would be getting on to him. And she'd say, Matt, now... And Matt would just go, close his eyes. <laughs> you don't exist anymore, Mom. I'm in my own universe now. No one's talking to me. And uh, my other son, who was here, when he was little, uh, he would put a, a little blanket over his head, like an invisibility cloak. <laughs> and <laughs> he'd say, nobody can see me now. <laughs> To suppress the voice. To suppress the voice of the Spirit. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us to do things we don't want to do. Now, I got saved when I was 15. I got called to preach about a year later, but I didn't surrender to preach until I was 18. And for all those, all those, those months, when I was doing all kinds of dastardly deeds, for all those months, I knew the Holy Spirit had called me to do something. I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to hear it. I'd sit in church just like you, and I hear sermons and songs, and I'm constantly not listening. Constantly filling my mind with everything but God, Christianity. I never cracked the Bible one time in those years. I took it to church with me. I'm sure I opened it, but I don't remember consciously reading any text of Scripture. I suppressed the voice of the Holy Spirit. I was quenching because I didn't want to hear what he had to say. So don't do that. Don't do that. Now, Valor and I, we, we were married a long time. And uh, one time we were having a little, a little heated discussion about something. And I decided I'm just going to ignore her. Brothers, don't try it. <laughs> this is going to the seventh level of Dante's hell. This is bad. She's, so I just ignored her. She stands up to me. I just didn't respond. She kept on talking. I'm just ignoring her. Walking around her in the kitchen doing my business. And she, I, and she is going from mad to surp, the surface of the sun angry. Just, phew, I'm ignoring her. And you know, it, didn't, it wasn't doing our relationship any good. Because I was not listening to her. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, he's inside of you. Don't quench him. Don't, don't stomp out his voice. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple ways that you guys do that. Number one is you do it by not coming to church. Now, I'm not talking to people who are not here. I'm just talking to you. You should go to church. Go hear a sermon. Go to church and hear a sermon. 
Because God speaks, that's called the ordinary means of grace. God speaks through sermons. How many of you, how many of you with uplifted hand would say, I heard a sermon and it really helped me or changed my life? Anybody like that? Some sermons are that way. But if you weren't there to hear it, guess what you don't get? You don't get that rhema word. And then the second way you don't do it is you don't read the Bible. You don't read the Bible. You don't read the Bible. Now, you got a lot of reasons why you don't read it. you got a lot of reasons. All of them are bad reasons. All of them are bad, unless you say you can't read. But then they got this thing called audio Bible. You can listen to it. you guys, you got you to get to know that Bible. you got to spend some time reading it. It will make a difference in your life. I know you don't think it will, but it will. And you won't really understand it. Now, my daughter Leslie is here. I'm sorry to talk about my kids so much, but hey, you know, it's my sermon. Leslie is here, and a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, she was in our living room, and she's ta- telling us some story, and she said some vulgar Michigan colloquialism. She said, geez, oh, Pete's. I said, what did you say? I've already noticed the way she's, she says some of her vowels in that Michigan way. But I was like, Jeez, old Pete's, what in the world kind of, t- I know, where'd you hear that from? You know, and I know, I know where she heard it from. Everybody in northern Michigan says, geez, old Pete's. I play basketball with guys. When they miss a shot, they say, geez, old Pete's. I tell, when I tell them some fantastic story, it's just, it's just a normal thing. But without her even realizing it, she's been influenced by that. Sometimes Valerie would talk to me about where she's, she's going to go to Petoskey. She says, Toski, like you guys say, Petoskey. Tasky. <laughs> I'm thinking about sending her to live with her mom for six months to get her old voice back. <laughs> you see, without even realizing it, that's had an effect. And the Bible, as you read the Bible, you won't realize it, but it will affect you and change you in a way you can't really comprehend. But you're going to have to read that Bible. And you say, well, there's parts of it I don't like. Me too. There's parts I don't understand. Me too. There's parts I would like to skip. I do. (laughs) I don't read genealogies. I heard a pastor say, every genealogy has something in it for you. I don't know what it is yet. (laughs) I skip them. I think you should read the Bible for joy. Don't, Don't try to figure out all the theological answers. Just read it for joy. Read the parts that really make your heart sing. Read the Psalms. Read Proverbs. Read Paul's letter to the churches. Read that delicious book of Genesis over and over again. Read it for joy. You have to read God's word. It'll make a difference in you. Now, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that word grieve means to cause pain or vex. Because he's a person who lives with us, we can cause him discomfort. Ephesians 4.31-32 through 32 tells us how this is done. It says that we should get rid of all bitterness, 
rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as in, in Christ God forgave you. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. All those internal yuckinesses, they grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of them. Now, taking out the trash is, is hard to do sometimes because sometimes you love the trash, right? Sometimes you, sometimes you don't want to get rid of it. Now, one man's trash is another man's what? Treasure. Now, I've been to some people's house and looked at their collections and thought, what a bunch of trash. <laughs> but they don't feel the same way, do they? Because it's not trash to them, it's treasure to them. And sometimes some of us, we like being bitter. It gives us a reason to live. It gives us something to talk about. Gives us something to blame all of our problems on. If only so-and-so hadn't done that to me. Rage and anger. People like to be angry. Anger, angry is, anger, anger has a, uh, it's kind of has a, uh, it's got a good feeling to it. Because when you get really mad in a real good rage, I mean, it just feels good to be angry. You can do a lot of big stuff when you're angry, you know? Anger. Brawling and slander. The things that come from bitterness and anger. Doing people disservice, talking bad about them, slandering them. Malice, that's the intent to do hurt. Those things grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And and some of you, the way you are living your life, you're not just grieving the Holy Spirit, you're grieving the people around you in your life. you got to let it go. At some point, you have to accept that what's happened to you up to now has been a part of God's purpose for your life. And you can't go back and undo it, so you got to quit being mad about it. you got to quit living in the past. My friend Tim Green said this, to profitably enter the future, you must profoundly forget the past. The Apostle Paul says it really good in Philippians chapter 3. He says, forgetting those things that are behind I press forward. I press forward. Now, the last thing. The Holy Spirit changes us for the better. Relationships have an effect on us. And your relationship with the Holy Spirit can make you better. But you have to nurture it. And so I ask you this morning, how is your relationship with this precious Holy Spirit? Do you have one at all? Have you confessed Jesus is Lord? Have you come to understand the gospel? That Jesus died for sinners. On the cross, he paid for the collective sin debt of all who would believe on him. He suffered. He was punished for your sins. His soul went to the subterranean realms for your sins. And he rose from the dead to prove that all sins had been paid for. And whoever believes in him can have all their sins forgiven. If you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus to forgive your sins, your sins are as yet unforgiven. But if you put your trust in Christ, if you call upon him to save you and forgive you and cleanse you, he will cleanse you and all your sins will be taken care of. All of your past sins, all of your present sins, and all of your future sins. And you'll be able to make that confession because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you. Now here's the last thing I want to say to you. In the person of the Holy Spirit, the Christian has a guide and comforter and helper and counselor and prayer partner. So let's live with confidence in him. 
Let's learn from him. Let's look to him for help and comfort. Let's pray together. Almighty God, on this day, you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. You have shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, and it has reached the ends of the earth through Christ. Father, on this day, teach our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Grant us the Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and help us to rejoice in His holy comfort. We ask these things through the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is your Son and our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.